This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steubing. One of the things you hear a lot from people who don't have type 1 diabetes is how they wouldn't be able to prick their finger four or five times a day. They just don't like needles. Then they say they want to try getting their blood sugar tested, and they scream nonstop while you're holding the needle. But what they don't realize is that the needles are the easy part. They're straightforward. Needle goes in, blood comes out. If only the rest of type 1 was that easy, we wouldn't have any issues. But so much of managing blood sugars is invisible. Not only to other people, but to us too. Do you really know how many carbs are in that bowl of pasta? Are you working out harder at the gym today than you were yesterday? How do you measure how stressed you are? Is the spot you injected insulin absorbing it correctly, or did you just miscalculate how much insulin to take? All of these questions are going through our minds 24 hours a day, especially when we wake up in the middle of the night trying to figure out what's wrong and how to fix it. It sucks but there really isn't anything you can do about it. You need to keep asking these questions to keep your blood sugars under control. Jim was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 1978 when he was 30 years old. He's had 38 years of asking these same questions every single day, and he's learned that no matter what you do, you can't get it right every time. So was that hard transitioning to type 1 at that point in your life? Well, in a way, the diagnosis was a relief because I I finally figured out what was going on with my body. It was a really, really bad time in my life. My marital relationship was collapsing. I was out of work and really struggling. I hadn't been in Los Angeles for all that long, you know, maybe two years at that time. So it was all kind of new. I didn't know that many people here. The one thing I did do was was I was very active. I ran a lot. And I now know that probably my physical activity kept my diabetes in check. And I didn't know I was doing that. But finally what happened was I lost about 40 pounds. And I thought maybe it was because I was exercising, running too much or whatever. Uh, But then I realized that I, I could be eating anything. I could sit down and eat a pint of ice cream and I wouldn't gain weight. I could eat a box of cookies. I could eat, you know, pie, you name it, all the stuff I love. But I never gained weight. I kept losing weight. So I knew something was wrong. But I got referred to just an absolutely wonderful uh, doctor. Uh, and, you know, he did a, a, a glucose test, a glucose tolerance test. And they didn't really even have to finish. My blood sugar was like eight or 900, you know. And so he said, you know, we don't even have to go further. You know, you're, you're diabetic. And very quickly within a matter of I think it's almost hours not days I was sitting in with a a diabetic educator a nurse who was still to my mind she's this angel figure she was wonderful and she was just straightforward about it she just said look this is what you got Here's how you inject and gave me an orange and I was, you know, shooting up into oranges and learning how to do it and then doing myself. And uh, she said, look, 
you've got it. You have to learn to live with it. You have to learn to manage it. And it was just no nonsense, even though she was, she was just wonderful. But it was like totally steely under it that you've got it. You've got to learn to deal with it. And it was a shock. And, and that, on top of all the other things that were going on in my life that I mentioned earlier, I, I, w I just kind of walked out of there in a daze. My marriage did collapse. Uh, my wife was not, uh, that was like the last straw for her at that time. She just couldn't deal with that. A lot of people don't realize the effect that type 1 can have on relationships with people. Did you notice any changes with your relationships with your friends and family? Besides no. your wife at the time? No, most, I, I didn't really even know that many people. Again, I was fairly new to Los Angeles. I only knew a few people. So I didn't really have that much of a, a change in the, you know, with the people that I knew. And, and honestly, throughout my life, everybody knows somebody who's diabetic. I mean, there's, there's a lot that people don't know, you know, I mean, just even the basics. But it's not something strange. And I've never felt like... I'm treated any differently, partly because of Barbara, the diabetic educator who I started with. You know, she basically said, look, you can do anything you want to do. You just have to account for it diabetically. And um, that's, that's really the way I was trained. When you go out, I mean, everybody has to kind of accommodate you a little bit. But I don't feel odd about that. Nowadays, and especially in Los Angeles, everybody's got something. Anybody who throws a dinner party in Los Angeles, you know, you go out of your mind because this person doesn't eat meat, this person doesn't eat fish, this person is gluten-free, this person's a vegan or whatever, you know, so I don't really feel that odd about it. Diabetes is just another, another thing, and I can eat anything as long as I accommodate it, and I can do pretty much anything. I'm, in my early days, just, just to talk further about that, you know, I was very active outdoors, and I remember... Right after I was diagnosed, I guess I had to prove it to myself, and I still was very, very unfamiliar with the whole process, but I went with a couple of friends, and we went backpacking in the Sierras. That was a big mistake, because my blood sugars, because of the altitude and the exercise and the exertion and the weird diet we were, you know, my blood sugars were just out of control, and I eventually had to walk out. You know, I just couldn't, we were up in this lake area, and I just had to walk out and go home and let those guys stay, and took a bus back to L.A., you know, from, from Bishop, and it was fine. But I, I realized that there are certain things that I just wasn't ready for yet. I can exercise, I can, you know, I played tennis for years and years and years, and it's not the diabetes that stopped me from playing tennis, it's my body, you know, it's other, other injuries. You know, I, I feel I can do anything. So you think that her idea that you can do anything you want to do, as long as you put the effort into it, that impacted how you look at type 1 diabetes, as opposed to the way some other people might look at it? Maybe so. I realized that I'm somehow challenged in a lot of things I might want to do. There are certain things that I don't do. I don't even consider doing anymore, like scuba diving. Because, you know, if I get a, like an insulin reaction at uh, 40 feet down or 50 feet down and I have to uh, decompress, I'm, I'm dead meat. You know, it's just not going to be very comfortable. Something bad's going to happen. But in terms of hiking or, or traveling, you know, international traveling, that's, that's just, you just deal with that. You know, it's more of a pain. You have to carry all your equipment through customs. And, but I, I really haven't had an issue with that. Was there a lot of things you had to relearn? with eating, with exercise, with life after you were diagnosed? Yeah, I did. I had to really 
kind of learn about exercise again. You know, I still pretty much walk and lift weights, you know, on a very regular basis. But there are some days that, you know, my blood sugar is just running low. And I'm all set to go out for a walk, and I just decide not to go because I just don't want to sit here, you know, before I go out and eat a lot of stuff or drink juice and pump my blood sugar up so I can go out for an hour, you know. It's just, like, silly. And then have to possibly, if I don't do enough exercise, then knock the blood sugar back down so I can eat dinner and then guess again what my insulin dose is going to be. So, you know, it just... It complicates things that way. And this is what I think people aren't aware of. Um, And I think this is maybe the most important thing that people don't understand, is that when you're diabetic, everything has to be factored in. Everything in your life is a factor that can affect blood sugar. And it's not just food. And it's not just exercise. It's stress. It's illness. It's, you know, how tired you are if you haven't been getting any sleep. All of these things that are a constant balance. But that's part of being diabetic, is you're always aware of the factors that can influence you and what could happen, what do I need to do, you know. But one of the, the, the greatest images that I can impart to someone without diabetes trying to understand what it's like having diabetes is something I read uh, on my last trip to Europe. I was in London and they had a supplement in the major local paper about diabetes. And one of the women they interviewed said that the way she envisions her diabetes and living with it is like when you're watching CNN and there's a constant crawl going across the bottom of the screen with all it was stock tickers, you know, headlines, sports scores, all that stuff. She said, that's what being diabetic is like. You're constantly having that crawl telling you, you know, where you're getting the information. What am I going to eat? When did I eat? What did I inject? What am I going to next inject? You know, where am I going next? Am I going to be away from home for five hours, seven hours, eight hours? All these factors. Am I stressed? Am I tired? You know, am I going to exercise later? And it's this steady stream of information that diabetics have to process that healthy people or non-diabetics don't have to. And the other thing is, you're in charge. There's nobody there holding your hand. You're not going in every week to get checked or every three days. Or every hour. Yeah, right. You're it. Just as as my lovely diabetic educator told me, you've got to learn to manage it. And this is it. It's It's you. And it is, but that's it. And so you have to learn to balance all these factors and still go out into the world and have a life, you know, have a good life. Or you can stay home with the shades drawn and check your CGM every 10 minutes and worry if you go to 110 instead of 100. It's a choice. Have you ever been overwhelmed by, you know, the constant, you know, crawl of information? Absolutely. There are days when I just say, you know, I'm really sick of this. I am so tired of dealing with this stuff. But then, what's your choice? Yeah. I mean, that's just it. I look at myself and go, okay, so what's your choice? You can stop dealing with it, and what will happen then? I get real tired of it. But I've had it for 30-some years, so I guess I'm, I'm allowed a day every once in a while, you know? After the break, Jim explains the difficulty in balancing a healthy lifestyle 
with a healthy life. Even though I'm the one who hosts and produces Beta Cell, it's really a show about you and for you. If I had to come on every episode and talk about type 1 diabetes for 20 minutes, it'd get pretty boring pretty quick, which is why we want to hear your stories instead. What has your life been like with type 1? How have you managed with your specific circumstances? How have you succeeded, and what are you looking to improve? And if you don't have type 1, what do you want to know about it? What confuses or interests you? We can't change the conversation about type 1 if we don't know what questions to answer. So send me a message and we'll be in touch. I like to eat, but going to a restaurant is a challenge because I don't know, A, what's in everything I'm eating as, as when I cook it, or I don't know what the portions are going to be. And I don't know, going into a restaurant, I don't know even what I'm going to eat. Forget what's in it. I don't even know what I'm going to Am I going to have pizza? Am I going to have some exotic Asian dish? I don't know. So that all has to be factored in. But, you know, after having diabetes for so long, I know that, you know what, I may get home that night and my blood sugar is going to be 250, 300 because I didn't guess right because it was an Asian restaurant, and I know they use a lot of sugar in their dishes, you know, and maybe I just didn't factor that enough in. So then I just have to take care of it. How long did it take you to accept the fact that if you go out to a restaurant and you come home, your blood sugar is probably not going to be right? Because I think a lot of people, myself included, you always want to be perfect. You know there's a range you're supposed to be in, and if you're not in that range you can feel somewhat guilty, like you did something wrong. Right. Well, I'm a poet, and one of my favorite poets is an American by the name of William Stafford, and he was famous for writing a poem a day. And one time in an interview, somebody said, well, you write a poem a day, what if it's not up to your standards? And he said, well, I lower my standards. And it's kind of the same thing, you know. If I'm not in the range that I want to be in, I expand the range a little bit. So, yeah, I would prefer to be coming home from a restaurant, you know, to kind of nail it and be at like 150 or 160 or even 170 going, yeah, I got pretty close that time. You know, I guessed about right. But if it's 250, oh, well, I'll fix it. But that's it. I certainly enjoyed the meal, and, and so I'll just have to fix it now. And it may take a few hours to get it stabilized again, but if you're under decent control, it's not that hard. But it's, it's an issue. So how much effort do you think you put in on a daily basis for managing your type 1 diabetes? You know, from the, from the moment you wake up till you wake up at 3 in the morning because your blood sugar is high and your Dexcom is vibrating. Right. Yeah, giving, waking up my wife, yeah. <laughs> um, I could, always, I could do more. I'm sure I could do more. But at the same time, I decided I'm just not going to be a professional diabetic. I did come across people who were just like fanatic about it. And maybe they'll outlive me by 10 years or never get complications or whatever. But I'm just not prepared to do that. I'm willing to do what I, what I need to do and to do it every day, all the time, watch my diet, 
carb count, check my blood four to five times a day, you know, at my doctor's uh, urging. I'm going to be going on, on the pump just to even further refine my control, which hasn't been bad. I think my range has always been a bit higher than, than they would like, but it's very steady. So it's hard to argue with that. But I'm going to try and get my range down. And so that's the next step is if my body has changed, what I've been doing till now isn't enough, then now the next step is to go on the pump and just make it happen. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. So why have you resisted the pump? It's just another thing hanging on my body that I don't want. I already have a Dexcom monitor on there. I'm already pricking my finger four or five times a day. Do I want a 32-inch tube hanging out of my side? No. Do I want a semi-heavy pump sitting in my pocket or riding on my belt? No. And it's not vanity. It's just a pain, you know. It's I mean, a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle thing. I just don't want it. What do you do when you take a shower? Oh, now i got to take this off. What do you do if... If things get amorous, you got to deal with that. I'm going to be sleeping attached to something with a tube. Do I want that? No, of course not. What happens in the middle of the night when I turn over and I'm all tangled up? It's just the way it's going to be, and I'll deal with it if that's what it takes to get my blood sugar controlled better and to expand the quality of life, at least health-wise. I like your phrase, being a professional diabetic. Where do you draw that line? How do you determine what's, what's too much? What's impacting your life, you know, and the, the way you live versus, versus, you know, your health? That's a good question. You know, I think a lot uh, health would be a determining factor. If I saw that my health was not good, if I saw that for two weeks in a row my blood sugars were always above 200, I would know that I need to do something. I'm not st- stupid about this. But It depends, I think, on what you're doing. I mean, I worked in the corporate world for 25 years, went to the office every day, and I I had a function at a high level. And I did, even with diabetes. It was not a factor. It was not going to be, and I did everything I could do. But did my my work, you know, having to be there and, and deal with that, take away a little bit of what I might have invested in diabetes management? Sure, sure. But I had a life, too like to do things, like to travel. So, you know, I do what I, as much as I can do. Could I do more? Absolutely. Will I do more? Yeah, I will. You know, with the pump, I'm going to have to. Do you think that having type one has impacted your poetry? I got a good poem out of it. <laughs> really, I did. I, I, I went to a, a writer's conference or poetry conference up at Squaw Valley, oh gosh, it was late 90s, when I first was really seriously uh, writing poetry. I, I had written poetry all through college, and then life got in the way for about 20 years, and it came back to me. I was lucky enough to have it come back. And when I was writing seriously, I went to this writers to this poetry conference in, uh, you know, with you know, high-level instructors, uh, including uh, poets like uh, Sharon Olds was there, you know, which is amazing, and uh, Robert Haas, former, it was before he was a poet laureate, but he was there. And I was working with him, and I, I had been wanting to write a poem about when I was diagnosed, you know, and about diabetes, and I never could have, you know, sometimes you just have a subject and you just don't know how to do it, so you just don't do it until, until you're poet enough to do it. You write the poems that you can write, and then you write more when you can write differently or more. So I wrote this poem, 
and uh, and brought it in. And there was, this, you know, it's a workshop group of people you don't know from all over the country. And he was there, and I brought that poem in. And, you know, I read it and got comments. And he was sitting, he happened to be sitting next to me. And um, after, after we went through that discussion, he leaned over to me, and he said, that was really powerful. And he said it in just such a way. That was like the greatest compliment I ever got from a, a superior poet, you know, just to know that I had communicated what was going on. And it's not a long poem. It's fairly short. But it got the point across, and I did what poets are supposed to do and made it universal so people could see it, people could feel it, people could identify with it. The name of the poem is Learning to Live With It. Barbara taught me to give injections to an orange, thick pop of penetration through the skin, short, smooth glide into soft tissue under, slowly, with control, push down on the plunger, and quick backward dart toss, remove the syringe. I practiced in her office, still dazed from diagnosis, seeing through pinpoint pupils, eyes after a strobe flash. Stretched like surgical tubing, colorless with tension, I was renamed after a disease, time now measured in gleaming needle pricks insulin units, blood sugar levels. My wife sobbed in the car parked beneath the medical building, rusty pipes wrapped in painted white strung along the oppressive ceiling. She cried because we didn't have much money. For the money, not for me. In that time of change, there were changes yet to come. Barbara said I would learn to manage it by myself. She said I had no choice. There's one line that I think really speaks to me. I was renamed after the disease. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly I was a diabetic. It's, that's the way I felt, you know. I felt that suddenly I had gained this, this thing, this other identity that I didn't want, but I had it and all the, the ramifications that came with it. And there were a lot of them, as I said, you know, there were, in that time of change, there were changes yet to come, and there, and there were, you know. But again, I had this, this angel there who, um, who guided me through the, the time, you know, and I don't know what would have happened if I ended up someplace else, you know, but it didn't. So I just say thank you and, you know, am forever indebted to her wherever she is. Beta Cell is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Stuming, and our music is by Purple Glitter. You can find Beta Cell on Twitter and Facebook at Beta Cell Podcast. We're always interested in hearing your stories. If you have an antidote you'd like to share, you can record a voicemail on your phone and email it to craig at betacellpodcast.com or leave a voicemail at 844-321-BETA. Jim's poem about his diagnosis, Learning to Live With It, is in his first book, In the Bee Trees, and it's up on our website, betacellpodcast.com. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell. Beta Cell.